I thought you might like to uh, see a pick or two to start uh, with from the Lambeth Conference that's going on in Canterbury in the UK at the moment, which is a meeting of all our uh, Anglican bishops around the world. And uh, you can just see, I think they're, they're running this as a competition, spot your bishop. <laughs> so um, 650 bishops from 165 countries. Um, it's a bit like the Anglican version of the Commonwealth Games. Um, and apparently um, they're doing a fair bit of walking to get from venue to venue. So they, they feel it's a bit, and of course it's quite hot, um, relatively speaking, over there at the moment. So um, quite a big gathering. Uh, 650 bishops and 450 spouses as well uh, just um, whoops I'll just go back one there um, this to me is an interesting one because this is this time 97 bishops who are women uh, which is quite a big increase on the number that were there in 2008 which was when they had the last uh, Lambeth conference in 16 of the Anglican provinces around the world now so our Bishop Ellie is there. Um, our Maori woman Bishop, Bishop Y, uh, wasn't able to attend, so she's been watching on, on Zoom. And then just to get it down a bit to our size, that's our 11 bishops from Aotearoa, New Zealand and Polynesia. So hopefully you can see some faces there that you might uh, know. And then four of our Maori bishops weren't able to attend, so they're um, on watching online on Zoom. Uh, and then just to bring it right down, there's our Bishop Peter, who's obviously decided to go casual. I think purple may be a bit overdone, so I think he decided just to, to wear mufti uh, and to make a change from the purple. So the Lambeth uh, Conference of Bishops has made a start, not without a bit of controversy and not without some rapid redrafting of uh, some of the calls that the bishops will be voting on. And then they will choose to bring those back to us for action. They're not doing resolutions as such. They're calls, calls to action. Subjects like mission and evangelism, safe church, Anglican identity, reconciliation, human dignity, environmental action, sustainable development, Christian unity, interfaith relations, discipleship, and science and faith. So there'll be lots of discussion and lots of talk, of course, but perhaps the most important thing is actually that rubbing shoulders and getting to know uh, other people very different from, uh, from ourselves. And as in any family gathering, there's always the danger of a few arguments and people falling out with each other uh, rather dramatically and things ending in tears. But let's hope and pray uh, that there will be really good listening and learning and relationship building and bridge building, just as you see here with our Bishop Peter, that fellowship and friendship and trust will triumph over fragmentation and fear of the other. So I think it's um, pretty timely then that our gospel from Luke this morning, as we're getting back into Luke's gospel, uh, comes at a point where Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's encouraging them not to be fearful or anxious, but to trust in the faithfulness of God, God's uh, steadfast love. And uh, our gospel is actually couched in terms of a family argument between two sons about inheritance. Uh, it's actually not too different from the prodigal son story. Uh, but Jesus uses it to get at a deeper issue, that ever-present temptation to just focus in on our self-interest and our self-preservation, on our own security, especially when that might seem under threat. And so we have the parable here of the rich fool. That's a bit of a modern uh, take on it. And 
I don't know whether you noticed, but it's used told in entirely the first person, I. And it's like we're given, we're sort of let into hearing uh, this rich farmer, his self-talk. And he's sort of saying, how can I hold on to all that I've got? How do I secure it? How do I guard it and keep it so that it keeps me, that it protects and safeguards my future? And you might think, well, that's a good thing. It's the sort of thing the retirement commissioner is encouraging us to do. But one of the interesting things is that he doesn't mention at all any of his family or any of his friends or any of his workers, those who might have been expected to be part of discussions about the future. And he doesn't mention anybody who might have worked with him on the farm to produce all this bounty and uh, wealth in the first place. And indeed, it's been suggested that when we hear about the sudden, you know, your life will be demanded of you, uh, this rich man's life, uh, it could in fact been maybe he was having to deal with a peasant uprising against his own selfishness when those who'd worked for him and slaved for him actually found that he was only thinking about himself. And Jesus sums it up pretty succinctly. So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. And we might add rich towards God and rich towards those made in the image of God. So it's a simple little story in some ways, a simple little, almost like a little folktale. And yet I think we can all recognize that tendency in ourselves and in our world to sort of close in on ourselves in the middle of winter and when things are tough and we hunker down and try and protect our own little world and look after number one and try to ensure our own security when our world is feeling pretty fragile and vulnerable. A Luke scholar who's also called Luke put it like this. He said, it's out of deep fear that our acquisitive instinct grows to be a monster. Life can seem so frail that many possessions are required to secure it, even though actually those possessions are even more frail than the life we seek to hold on to. And of course, perhaps that ultimate fragility and transience of possessions is a reality that we here in Christchurch are very aware of and have learned, haven't we, by better experience over recent years since the quakes. We've had to part with and leave behind so much and in some ways, we've learnt uh, how transient things can be, how things can change in an instant. But perhaps it's something, too, that our rather materialistic and individualistic Western world is having to learn, too. And I know uh, Bishop Peter's been saying already, when you hear uh, other bishops sitting with you in a group talking about what it's like in South Sudan, uh, what it's like when you just have to up and leave you know, because you're in danger, what it's like when you just had to take on 20 or 30 orphans into your household because you just do, uh, what it's like in Pakistan where sometimes um, persecution is really difficult. And, um, you know, it really challenges us. And it's interesting, I was reading something that um, physicist Stephen Hawking said uh, not long before he died. And, you know, with all his... Um, amazing ability. Um, he, he was also getting, I think, very wise in his thinking and saying people are starting to question the value of pure wealth. Is knowledge or experience more important actually than money? Can possessions actually end up standing in the way of our fulfillment? Can we truly own anything or are we actually just custodians and stewards? 
we need to adapt, rethink, refocus, change some of our most fundamental assumptions about what we mean by my wealth, by my possessions, even by mine and yours. Just like children, we will have to learn to share. And I remember growing up, I was one of four children. And you know how you sort of have these family mottos, you know, these things that are said again and again. And our one was, in this family, we share. And presumably, it's because we weren't. <laughs> and I think that's why I remember it so well. Now, Stephen Hawking, I think, probably still placed it firmly and, and, and rightly in many ways, was saying it's up to humanity to collaborate for the good and survival of our human race and our planet. And of course, that is vitally important. And we're seeing that with more and more urgency. And I know that's one of the key themes at the Lambeth Conference that our bishops will be bringing back. And I know that our bishops from the Pacific will be standing up and saying, this is an issue for us right now. Uh, hear our cry. But in some ways, what he's saying is actually not too far from what Paul was saying back uh, in our Colossians reading. And uh, I'll just come back to, to that picture just to um, quite like Gerberas. So I think that was quite a nice one. But Paul starts from quite a different premise and one which I think is really beautiful. He talks, first of all, about how we are in solidarity with Jesus in his death and resurrection he says, your life, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So whatever may happen to us in life, and even if we face sudden death for whatever reason, our real life is safe and hidden with Christ at God. It's untouchable. It's safe in God's care and keeping. And that means, therefore, Knowing that, we can then live and die in a way that is rich towards God. The Apostle Paul was writing this letter from prison, and he was very well acquainted with the fragility of life and um, how near danger and death could be, as he sought still to speak about his crucified and risen Lord. And as he writes from prison to the Colossians, he's very clear that our following Jesus is not just to get some sort of pie in the sky when you die. He says, no, our faith must affect the way we live now. And so, yes, we set our mind on things above. Uh, that's a lovely goal to have. But meanwhile, we still have to live on the earth now, but not according to the world's terms. So there are things we need to constantly leave behind and put off. And he uses a lovely image of putting off clothes. Uh, it's like these are the things that we need to strip off. It's, a, it's an image we also get in the book of Hebrews. Uh, when you're going to run a race, you strip off all the things that are going to make you trip over. And, uh, and he's very practical in the things he says. Uh, very honest, I think. He says we need to leave behind greed, anger, malice, slander, abusive language, lying, you know, he's just incredibly down to earth and practical. But then he flips the, the script, if you like, and, and changes the image and says, take all those off, but put on um, the wonderful robes of baptism, the white robe of baptism. Clothe yourself, be put on the new nature and be renewed. Put on the new clothes, if you like, uh, the new self, which is being renewed and the knowledge according to the image of its creator, God. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus. And it's not just for our own benefit, 
but it's also for the whole good of the community of Christ. It's that city on the hill. It's that light in the darkness uh, for the world of which we're a part and to whom we are to model God's good intentions for a whole renewed creation. And that's a lovely vision and a wonderful vision. And it happens bit by bit, step by step, as we walk with Jesus. Keep our eyes on him. Keep our eyes fixed on that image that we are being transformed into. In that renewal, we're told, that's when the bar barriers come down. There's no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and in all. And I think that's the wonderful thing that uh, we are seeing at the Lambeth Conference as the bishops actually get to know with each other, sit with each other, have meals together. Um, those walls come down as we get to know each other. And all those divisions, which are so severely threatened uh, to tear apart our world at this time, can be healed as we meet around the table in Christ and in the steadfast love of God. And that's a real challenge, isn't it? Um, I was reading this week about an interesting film that's coming to um, Christchurch to Laidlaw at the end of September with a discussion night with it. And it's about two Nigerians. And one of them's a Christian pastor and the other one's a Muslim imam. And they built a friendship together and got to know each other, formed a friendship, which then enabled peace to grow in their communities. And we know that uh, Nigeria is pretty much Muslim in the top half and Christian in the bottom half. And of course, there's um, often very difficult relationships and a lot of, of violence that's going on. So how wonderful to see that commitment by two leaders of two different faiths to say, we're going to um, make that journey together and then see how that impacts on our people and on our communities and on our country. So that's um, something to look out for at the end of uh, September. We know that that's happening too in our city uh, post the mosque attacks and there's some lovely initiatives uh, going on. There's a um, part of a, a group I've been involved with and called the um, Canterbury Women United, which is women too of different, all different faiths uh, coming together and finding what we have in common. And that goes against that whole thing of closing ranks, uh, of being suspicious of the other. And uh, all of that is, can so often be exploited around our world by those seeking power for their own ends and, you know, divide and rule. And we say, no, that's not going to be our way. And that's not a way that we're willing to uh, be. Rather, we want to be those who are the bridge builders, the ones who work to unite so even at our little end of the world, uh, we do what we can. And uh, I know Bishop Peter will be coming back, I'm sure, with lots of stories to share. So people of faith and us, we're called to be uh, called by the name of the self-giving Jesus. We're called to keep giving of ourselves, seeking to be rich towards God, rich towards all those made in the image of our creator. And that's not just sharing our resources, although that well may be part of it, but also sharing our lives, our very selves, uh, as Paul put it. So may we strive to be those here who are rich towards God and rich towards all others made in the image of God. Uh, take that image of putting on, putting on love, 
putting on the qualities of Jesus, stripping off those things which tie us up in knots and hinder our walk, putting on uh, the clothing of love and the clothing of the fruit of the Spirit so that whatever happens, uh, we are walking with Jesus and whatever happens, our true lives are hidden uh, with Christ in God forever. It's a lovely image to hold on to and I pray that we know that whatever happens, our lives are safe with God. Thanks be to God. Amen.